Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters Podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet again another fantastic episode of this, our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, and I am so glad that you've joined us today for this exciting episode. In today's Cryptids in the News and History and Other Oddities segment, Kevin is heading north, way, way north, into the frontier state of Alaska, digging up some dirt on Alaska's Bigfoot population. I am sure he's got some very interesting commentary for you and I today. And in part two... I will be reading a testimonial from a hunter who began his day hunting small game and came across a little more than he bargained for in the process. And in part three, we will yet again be delving into you, our listeners' mail, in the hope of answering your questions or adding your thoughts and ideas into the mix that is our show. Don't be shy or assume that it's up to every other listener to contact us. Put down the cake plate, Porky, and send us an email. Do it or else. (laughs) And while I'm on the subject of listener responsibility, it would be a great help to us in this show moving forward if each one of you would let the moths out of your wallet and purchase a book or an e-book. Show some support and solidarity for what we are doing, and it would be greatly appreciated. We know that you are enjoying what we putting out, what we are putting out each week. So let the malts out of your wallet or your purse and commit yourself. Don't be a cheapskate. And if not for yourself, nobody will ever forget the dude or the dudette that mailed them Bigfoot terror in the woods on a whim. And now... Here's Kevin! Hey, bro, how are you? Good, how about you, Bill? Pretty good. I'm wound up for this show today, as you can tell. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm excited about going up to Alaska on this episode. Yeah, no, it's going to be awesome. And you're actually going to Alaska uh, in the not-too-distant future, correct? Yeah, out at the end of the summer, we're going to uh, make a journey up there. We were a little delayed because they're having a bunch of fires up there. Yeah. Slowed us down a little, which you want to stay away from the fires. Yeah, now, are you planning to do some camping and hiking, or are you going to uh, uh, look for some more comfy accommodations? I can tell you we won't be on a cruise ship. (laughs) (laughs) All righty, then. We'll be out in the wild. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about the Alaskan Bigfoot, and I came up with a little something. How right. how about this? The Yukon Yowie. <laughs> you know, I, I have a lot of uh, room in my heart for Yowie. <laughs> I love that Yowie stuff. I don't know. I don't know what that actually translates into. That's something you have to check into one day. Does Yowie have you, some? I, I think it comes out of uh, what you say when you see one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I can think of some other words I'd be saying that I won't repeat here. Exactly. <laughs> so it's what the you, PG version. Yeah, yeah. So what do you got for us today? What are you opening up with here? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this week we're heading up to the great state of Alaska. And I'm going to start out giving a little introduction into the state to kind of set the stage for the settings, especially for a lot of the folks that listen to us from around the world, outside of outside of the United States and outside of North America. Um, so Alaska, just very briefly, Alaska was the 49th state to join the United States. So uh, second to last with a Hawaii following up after Alaska. And uh, Alaska became a state in 1959. So, you know, it's only been a part of the USA for about 70 years. So it's certainly relatively new. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you mentioned, one of the many nicknames of Alaska is the last frontier or the frontier state. 
Yeah, yeah. And now, we didn't we uh, did we acquire Alaska from Russia? We did. Yeah. Hmm. So Russia had it for a long time. We were interested in it. Um, Russia used it to get a lot of resources from it, and then at one point in time, they thought kind of like that it wasn't worth the effort, or they had gotten all the resources that they wanted to get, or thought they could get, and they put it up for sale. And it was, uh, I forget the exact price, but it was definitely a bargain. Yeah, kind of like when George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees for $10 million bucks. <laughs> and I, th- I think he only ponied up about a half a million dollars or something at the time. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah, and, and also Alaska, it's the largest of our 50 states. And at the same time, it has the lowest population density. So I, I read an interesting stat about it, and it said that if Manhattan Island in New York City had the same population density as Alaska, there would only be 27 people in Manhattan. Wow, that's a feel. You know, here's another interesting fact about Alaska, and I may be off on the numbers, but I'm close. I think the fact of the matter is that one or two out of every thousand people that go to Alaska disappear. They do have a lot of uh, disappearances. It's... uh, and, of course, it's such a rural place, and it's such a harsh place, too. Um, and then I also think, you know, all kidding aside, some of, some people go up there with it in mind that they want to disappear. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, this is a place to go where, uh, you know, if you've been a criminal element or uh, you just want to fall off the earth, uh, I believe you can really go up there and simply vanish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow, that's incredible. So, you know, because of that lack of population density, you know, when when I went and researched uh, Alaska Bigfoot sightings, uh, you know, there's many vivid accounts of Bigfoot sightings. Um, however, Alaska doesn't show up as one of the top states for sightings of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And I think it's just because it's so isolated and there's just not that many people up there. But it's hard to believe that there is not a strong Sasquatch population up in Alaska. I mean, it's so rural. If you look at the Pacific Northwest, very similar to the Pacific Northwest in ruralness, which, of course, is a hotbed for Bigfoot. But, you know, the only drawback is it gets pretty darn cold in the wintertime up in Alaska. Yeah, and, you know, I think we take for granted, particularly uh, in this day and age, and I'm talking, when I say this day and age, I'm talking about the past, let's just say, 20 years. You and I are talking to each other today, looking at each other uh, electronically on a camera, uh, talking to each other on uh, relatively high-tech equipment, uh, spanning, what, about 1,500 miles? Yep. Uh, I don't know what your average person in Alaska has had available uh, as far as electronics, fiber optics, you know, all the stuff we have wired around us on a regular basis. And I'm I'm not besmirching uh, Alaska or its people. I'm just uncertain as to exactly what they have had as has, as far as having the advantage of uh, uh, the Internet. A lot of news broadcast uh, platforms uh, to get more information out there. Yeah, and certainly a very rural place. Like one thing, you know, as I've been reading about Alaska and researching it, you know, primarily around my trip up there in the future, is it's shocking how few roads there are connecting the major cities. So, you know, in most places, you, you actually have to fly fly in or go by boat between the cities. Even yeah. the even the capital city of Juneau, Alaska, um, the easiest way to get there, they say, is on a ferry. Yeah, it's, it's not on the road. It's remarkable. And once again, there is a huge disconnect uh, between persons like myself living in a relatively metropolitan type of area or metropolis type of area, thinking that everywhere is like this. Yep, exactly. Uh, And it's not. I mean, there are places out there where you can get lost in a heartbeat and nobody's even going to know you're lost. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, you know, uh, 
getting back to Alaska, a bit like the Yowie that you mentioned down in Australia. Uh-huh. The hairy man in Alaska goes by many names. And, uh, you know, some of the names are really straightforward. Like one of the more popular ones is the Woodsman, uh, Stickman, Alaska Bushman. Um, and then some of the names are much harder to pronounce and come from the native population of Alaska. So, you know, I'll, I'll try to pronounce these correctly, but they're challenging. The, the first one is uh, Kush Taka. Mm-hmm. Next one is uh, Nantanak or Nain or Yure Yulatik. You know, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm not even going to say the other ones because I don't even have a chance. You know? Yes, but, I've I've heard of the name Kushtakan. Yeah, and that uh, one's that one's one of the easier ones to pronounce. Yeah, maybe that's why I've heard of it. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> somebody looked at me and said, "I'm not going to challenge this bozo with anything too difficult." I can tell you, one of them starts with a Q, and the second letter is Z. Great. Good luck with that. Yeah. I didn't try that. Much, so <laughs> so um, the, the first sighting I'm going to talk about today occurred uh, in Alaska, of course, and they were written about by a writer for the Anchorage Press in Anchorage, Alaska. And her name is Deborah McKinney. And she wrote about these on March 24th, 2016. So not that they all happened then, but she was asked by the paper, apparently, to do some research into Bigfoot in Alaska. And she went out and interviewed a lot of people. And uh, I pulled uh, I pulled uh, one of these to talk about and then pulled another one from a different source. Awesome. <coughs> so the first one, let me get a drink of water here. Sorry. Go ahead. You know, that is uh, another one. I don't know if this is from Alaska. But uh, I've heard of the name Uma. Mm. Was that one in your uh, that you came across there? The Uma. I didn't come across that one. I didn't come across that one. But all right, I'll keep my eyes open. Yeah. So the first one comes from a gentleman by the name of Todd Rector, and Todd lives in a place called Palmer, Alaska, kind of like an Arnold Palmer, and it's northeast of Fairbanks and pretty close to the town of Wasilla. And I was going to ask you, Bill, do you remember which one of our famous vice presidential candidates lived in Wasilla? Oh, I can't think of her name right now. Yeah, yeah uh, Sarah, Sarah Palin. Yeah, Sarah Palin. Yeah, she, she's she, actually the mayor of Wasilla. So Wasilla is pretty close to Palmer. Yep, yep. So back to Todd's account. He and a buddy and his dog named Boo... So he and a buddy and his dog named Boo, which when I first read that, I was like, (laughs) you know, we don't want to confuse a dog named Boo with one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs, A Boy Named Sue. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. But anyway, Todd, his buddy and his dog named Boo, uh, they were out grouse hunting in this town north of Fairbanks, Alaska. And they were up a side road off a place called the Elliott Highway that dead-ended at an abandoned mining claim. So they were poking around the place looking for grouse, and he noticed something odd. So he saw a sun-bleached skeleton of a dog that was splayed on its back with not a single bone missing nor gnawed upon from tip of the tail to the tip of the snout. Wow. Yeah. And he says, you know, I didn't know what to make of it, but it was just really weird. And then he said, I'm standing there thinking about this. And Boo came over. And then my buddy walked over. And right at the same moment, it was like turning on a light switch. The dog spun on its heels and we spun right behind, but not fast enough to catch a glimpse of it. So all of a sudden, basically, they felt that someone or something was looking at them while they were looking at this skeleton of a dog. They spun around, and all of a sudden, uh, they hear alder trees and willow trees exploding as something huge, loud and fast, crashed up the ridge with uh, his dog, Boo, in hot pursuit. And the commotion basically echoed through the valley, the sound of crashing trees 
and uh, and tree and you know limbs breaking and twigs being crushed, etc. Wow, so pretty wild. And he said it wasn't the first time Boo had taken off after things. Usually he'd be going, and this is how he puts it: woof, woof, woof. But this time the dog was yapping. Uh, as he was chasing it, which indicated to him that he was very frightened, but still chasing the animal instead of as if he was chasing a fox or something. He'd just be barking at it. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know, so and, uh, I, I have uh, I have an account that I'm going to be putting in uh, my next volume uh, that a guy in uh, I think Louisiana came across. Uh, he found a couple of hogs, wild hogs, dead, splayed open uh, mid uh, or the lower part of the body. Everything was intact. Only the organs and all the innards had been removed. Mm. Kind of like a, uh, a, a turkey on Thanksgiving where it was gutted and left intact. Yeah, well, that... And that could be the case here, right? I mean, they're just looking at the bones after a long period of time, but everything seemed to be perfect. Yeah, and why yeah. weren't any of the bones gone? Exactly. Or he even mentions not even gnawed upon. Right, right. And that that is a fact uh, that I've uh, come to learn uh, in the writing of all these books, that animals will gnaw away to nothing the remnants of uh, skeletal remains in the woods. So it's very unusual for you to find this animal to be found with bleached bones and absolutely nothing left on it and still having this entire skeleton intact to look at. Yeah, I, I mean, very odd. I've never seen anything like that. So, no, neither have I. You know, un, undisturbed like that. So the ruckus continued up the ridge to a spruce grove, and then the thrashing stopped. <laughs> they figured Boo had cornered or treed whatever creature it was chasing. They headed up, but by the time they reached the area, Boo and whatever it was chasing were crashing their way back down to the valley. Uh, Rector assumed it was a moose but then found tracks embedded in the moss. He says, I could see what Boo was chasing, and its steps were nine feet apart. Holy cow. Yep. And there were only two feet, not four feet. So, you know, not like a moose running along. But could you imagine the steps are nine feet apart? And then he measured the prints, and he said they were about 19 to 20 inches long and 10 inches wide. Holy smoke. Yeah. You know, and it sounds to me like uh, Boo uh, thought he was going to get the upper hand and keep chasing this thing. But finally, it just said, I've had enough of you, Boo. And, <laughs> and it turned the tide on him. He's lucky he didn't get stomped into the hillside. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the thing could just take a swat at Boo, and that would be the end of Boo. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And then he just ends his account by saying, okay, it wasn't a moose. And it was time to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm with him on that. Exactly. exactly. So, sorry, Boo. I got to leave. Hope you make it. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't want to be ya. <laughs> one, more right. one more reason to always carry more gun than you think you're going to need, bro. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I don't think he had the right gun being he was hunting grouse. <laughs> I tell you what, I think Sarah Palin's my kind of woman. I bet you she has a gun collection. <laughs> <laughs> that's right in her neighborhood. Perfect. All right, so that's the first account. And then I have another account here that uh, was written about uh, by a woman named Lauren Coleman. And uh, I came across the article dated January 23rd, 2018, and uh, in a place called uh, Crypto Zoo News. So it's pretty interesting. So there's a, several accounts that occur right at this same period of time. And I guess there was a big, uh, some big earthquakes in the area. 
at that point in time. And those large earthquakes uh, triggered a lot of tsunami warnings, right? So up in Alaska, of course, it's a place where they have a lot of earthquakes. And then they're also vulnerable to a lot of uh, tsunami as well coming in from the ocean. Yeah, people don't consider that. But I was watching uh, some PBS show one day where these guys were in an inland, uh, like a bowl of water. Uh, one of those earthquake tsunamis had occurred, uh, which they were actually uh, investigating in a scientific way. Yeah. And had climbed up the side walls of this bowl of water they were in, like several hundred feet. Wow. Yeah, you could see the line on the landscape as they were looking at it and cam uh, filming it with cameras that there was a definite line where the water had risen, wiped out a bunch of trees, and then receded. Mm. Just incredible. Yeah, those tsunamis, they're, they're terrifying. You know, you read about the accounts, and now, of course, these days you can see video of some of the big tsunamis, you know, and, uh, boy, that's got to be terrifying if you're there to experience it. Well, we were just watching uh, late last night, uh, Paula and I, uh, footage of Barry down in Louisiana, this massive rain and flooding they're having down there. And there were deer swimming around where the flooded houses were. Mm, yeah. So what's what's to say that other creatures such as Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Dogman, whoever, whatever, would not head for the hills or potentially get caught in water in such uh, such well, events? Actually, so in several of these accounts that took place at this point in time, Folks talk about the fact that, you know, they they saw animals heading for the hills, you know, uh, with, uh, with after this earthquake, knowing that a tsunami is coming, like their instinct tells them that. And then some others, uh, especially uh, natives up there, saw uh, Bigfoot heading up inclines and things like that. So it's funny wow. you mentioned that. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, so this account uh, took place near the southeastern town of Sitka, Alaska. Mm -hmm. And it goes that families were already packing up cars and heading to higher ground. Others were on foot heading to higher ground. Bears, which would normally be hibernating, were heading to higher ground as well, along with deer. So kind of like you mentioned, Bill. Mm -hmm. And Eric, who gives this account, was out at Stargaven Park, a popular place for people locally, which is several miles away from downtown Sitka. The alert came over Eric's cell phone. Eric and his girlfriend started back towards town in their car. Having just passed the Alaska Marine Highway ferry system terminal, they were going around a bend in the road. Eric's car died on the spot. They sat for a few minutes trying to restart the car. Eric popped the hood to see what was going on. He got out of the car, and a deer was running across the road. A moment later, Eric says, a humanoid figure standing approximately eight feet tall crossed the road directly in front of them. The creature was just a few feet away from the car. I asked Eric what he thought it possibly could be. Was it a bear? Was it human? And Eric said, that was no bear. I know it definitely wasn't a human. That was a kushtaka, he said. Wow. His composure changed instantly after mentioning the kushtaka. Wow. Yeah. So this guy, was he uh, uh, Eskimo, Native American, or they didn't get into that? He doesn't, it doesn't say, but I, I'm guessing he's a local, if nothing else. Yeah, if he's using that terminology, uh, really only locals and, and, and people of certain ethnic backgrounds would know the terminology. So you're saying when I go up there, I shouldn't use that term? <laughs> well, you know, they're going to know you from freaking Queens if you say, hey, buddy, boy, where's the Bigfoot at? <laughs> Make it snappy, pally wally. Hey, have you seen Joey? I'm looking for Bigfoot. <laughs> I'm looking for Vinny the Chin. <laughs> All right, so back to Eric's account. He, he said right. that he said that the creature paused in front of our car. He looked right at us. Um, he said that he was more fascinated than scared at the moment. 
He said you could see his hair-covered body. His arms seemed a little disproportionate compared to that of a human. They seemed longer. He said it just looked different from our arms. His biceps and triceps were definitely bigger than any human I've ever seen. Um, he said, I stood by my car door. He paused and looked at me straight in the eyes. He looked like he was about ready to come towards me, but then he took off, continuing across the road and into the woods, as if he was for, heading for higher ground. And he says, my God, that smell about him was awful. I've never smelled anything like that. Eric and his girlfriend sat in the car, not knowing what to do next. The sirens for the tsunami alert system started. Time was of the essence to get to higher ground. Eric did not realize until later that his car st started quite readily after the Bigfoot sighting. So again, remember his car quit. That's how he ran into the Bigfoot. Wow. And he said uh, the tsunami alert came and went mostly without incident. Um, but, you know, he certainly had this uh, exciting sighting of a Bigfoot, you know, Pretty darn close to him. Wow. What a time for your car to stall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my but again, God. he didn't know it, right? When the car stalled, he didn't see Bigfoot. He saw him after he got out and was looking under the hood. So yeah. Pretty, pretty yeah. strange. Yeah, isn't that a lot of fun? <laughs> <laughs> you turn around and you think somebody's come to help you, and you realize it's a 10-foot-tall monster. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. And then I got one really short one here, which I have to try and find some more information on because it's just, uh, this was the eeriest sighting that I came across, but it's, it's really short. So it, it occurred in a place called Portlock, which is also known as Port Chatham. And um, it's in a small village on the Kenai Peninsula, which is basically southwest of Anchorage. Mm -hmm. And uh, this little town is out on the tip of the peninsula, you know, reaching out into the ocean. And it was home to so many Bigfoot sightings that the entire population eventually fled due to an overwhelming amount of fear. And this was going back to the early 1900s. So, you know, for this period of time, during the early 1900s, they said that torn up bodies were washing up on the shores of this small village, making the people believe that it had to be the evil Sasquatch spirits that roamed the woods nearby. So, oh, my God. Torn up human bodies? Exactly. That is crazy. Yeah, in a really rural place, right? So not that many people around, and you're coming across these torn up humans washing up. Wow. You know, yeah. you got to dig into that, bro, and see if you can get some more uh, data together on uh, those events. I don't know if it's available, but let's see what we can dig up. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I have a couple of leads on some information coming out of like some tribal publications and things like that, but I didn't have it ready for this podcast. Yeah, good enough, though. Great job. Thanks. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so some cool, cool sightings and some new names from Alaska. Yeah, and, you know, if I'm not mistaken, uh, isn't the Kenai Peninsula where uh, they do a lot of whale hunting? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if they still uh, whale hunt there, but they might. But it's a it's a very, uh, you know, a, a very touristy place as well. Oh, yeah. OK, yeah. well, I, so it's I a really popular place to go and see the glaciers. And it's pretty close to a town called Seaward, where uh, like a lot of the cruise ships come in up there as well. Yeah, Seward, Seward, Alaska. That's a, exactly. that's a go. That's a go to place for cruise ships. Exactly. Well, that's incredible. Well, great job with that, bro. And I got something I brought here tonight that's going to uh, rattle a few cages out there, no doubt. I'm ready. Uh, this sighting was uh, brought to my attention by a guy named Lee Rutherford, uh, who was a lifelong resident of the state of West Virginia. And this is what Lee saw while on the hunt for rabbit in November of 1965. So this is going back... A long ways, and just further proof, if you believe it, that uh, these creatures have been sighted and have been being seen for a long, long time. And here's what uh, Lee had to say. I turned 88 this past June, 
And when I ran across your query, for those of us who have seen a Bigfoot in our lifetime, I thought I would share with you and your readers just what I had experienced in November of 65. Keep in mind that at that time, I had no knowledge of what was said to have been discovered in the Pacific Northwest. But we had more than enough local lore about the hairy man and the booger that went back for generations in our own neck of the woods. The cold nights of October coupled with the morning's frost had me itching for the arrival of opening day for rabbit season, which began in November. There was a tremendous amount of land, both federally owned and state-owned, available for the hunt. At that time, a large amount of farming properties had already been abandoned also and were being reclaimed by Mother Nature in the form of brush and briar fields, which made for spectacular rabbit hunting. I personally knew an old codger named Mr. Graves, whose family had owned a number of large land holdings in the region. He would allow me to hunt his properties in exchange for some field game. And so it was that November had finally rolled around, and with it I took my beagle, Ruffian, out for the first hunt of the new season. I was working a 600-acre field that was once used for growing cotton, which was now comprised of waist-deep bramble and some thin trees. Mr. Graves would take out his tractor with a cutting attachment on it prior to the season opener and carve out several pathways around the field to aid in the hunt. On my first day in, Ruffian and I had scored seven nice cottontails in four hours, and I made my way back home. The following day, we had a heavy rain, so it was two days later that I was back in the field on the hunt. Now, the area which I had gone into on this day was a low-lying field. I mention this because the land from my position was elevated some 50 feet and going up to my north about 300 yards. This concealed the rest of the fields from my view, unless, of course, I was to walk up this elevation. Ruffian was working the brush hard, and as of 8 a.m., I hadn't yet fired around. It was windy and cold. At this point, I was walking, cradling my Remington in my arms, heading in a westerly direction on one of the paths that Mr. Graves had cut through the bramble. The elevation which I just described to you was on my right-hand side, being to the north. Suddenly, Ruffian let out one of his beagle howls, and I turned my head to the north in response. To my utter amazement, standing directly atop of this ridge, some 100 yards away from me, was a huge hairy man staring in my direction. Ruffian was leaping up and down howling, but the beast just stood there unmoving. The growth in this field was uniformly about three to four feet tall, and at the distance I saw the creature standing, the brush was concealing its lower body to only about mid-thigh. The creature stood its ground for maybe a minute as I attempted to calm Ruffian in the hope of not scaring it off. But such was not the case that day. No sooner had I calmed Ruffian down than did the beast turn and walk back out of sight behind the ridge. This beast was standing against the backdrop of an overcast sky amidst a gray and golden yellow field of bramble and tall grass. Its outline was almost black, and it had to have been standing some ten feet tall. I could see even at the distance I was away from it that its upper shoulders tapered up to what were the sides of its head. It appeared to be extremely broad and muscular, with its chest being in a very distinct V-shape and its arms hanging away from its sides. On the following day, having told Mr. Graves about what I had seen, we took the tractor back into the field and drove it through the bramble to the place where I had seen the hairy man. 
We could see the trail that it had made, parting the grass coming into the field from the wood line to the north. We followed the trail on the tractor, and along the way we came across a large pile of scat, which was not that of any animals in the area. It was comprised of large, long pieces that looked similar to that of a human's, only longer and wider in diameter. I realize that nobody is too keen on talking about scat, but as a hunter, scat is an important determining factor when tracking. Our morning ended with nothing else having been found. Wow. Pretty wild. Yeah, pretty bizarre, you know. And here, once again, you have an individual who is out there. He's not in a crowd. He doesn't describe himself as being with, you know, six dozen other people in his property. It's him and his beagle. And on this particular day, it was overcast and kind of nasty. And he's out there anyway, plugging away, doing what he likes to do, which is hunt. Exactly. Hunting rabbits. Yeah. And, you know, uh, interesting, too, again, that uh, uh, this account I pulled out of the hat had a dog involved, and you were just talking about Boo up in Alaska. <laughs> a dog named Boo. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But you really get a feel for the size, too, you know, where he talks about the the brush being three to four feet high and it's show you know it going up to uh like the mid thigh of this creature so yeah yeah you're you know, talking definitely them. an eight or nine footer yeah big freaking monster you know and so many times uh people talk about these creatures watching them uh are they just looking? Are they as amazed as we are in the moment about seeing us as we are seeing them? And then it just turned away. Yeah. Uh, just very interesting, you know, that you wonder sometimes, are they inquisitive uh, or do they care at all? Yeah, you know, they must care a little bit. And I think, you know, I've said before, they're definitely stealthy creatures. So I think they're watching very often and it's only a fraction of the time that someone actually picks up on the fact that that something is watching them. And I think it's basically oftentimes, you know, that extra sense that we have of danger lurking or you hear of animals alerting, like in this case, you know, his hunting dog alerting. So, you know, so many of the accounts, as you know, Bill, are uh, someone just has a weird feeling like, uh, you know, that first account that I talked about tonight uh, or uh, the animals start to alert, for example. Yeah. And I've been saying this for a long time now. And uh, it, uh, without a doubt, uh, I believe what I'm saying is true. We have squelched out. And when I say we, I'm talking about people, again, who live in uh, heavily populated areas who surround themselves with electronics and busy them things, uh, busy themselves with things uh, such as television, radio, the car, the store. We have squelched out uh, this God-given ability, this sixth sense uh, to pick up, to warn us, to give us a heads up when trouble is coming. Or not even necessarily trouble when somebody's approaching. Yeah, or uh, even even if there's something to see. You know, you, you talk about it often in your books. You have to be looking for it in order to see it. You know, like yeah, this, out at the 4th of July, we were out at the coast, and uh, we were kind of sitting back in some chairs in the darkness looking up at the sky like like we've always done since we were little kids. Right. And uh, right, right. and we were watching so many different satellites that came over. You know, we didn't yeah, see any yeah. shooting stars that night, but we did see probably five or six different satellites cruising across the sky. You know, but again, if you're not, you know, if you got your head in your phone or whatever your favorite electronic device is, you're not going to be able to see things like that. Yeah. And, you know, Kev, I had my first UFO sighting showing somebody else a satellite. Mm. I was sitting at the end of Rogers Lane in Remsenburg on a moonless night uh, in a 40 Econoline van looking out of one of those gigantic front windshields they had. Yep. 
And uh, I was pointing out to a friend of mine a satellite coming across the sky, and I started to talk to him about it. And uh, that was the night I had my first UFO sighting. Uh, but, cool. you know, getting, getting back to our growing up, uh, I have said this to uh, listeners for months, and now you can attest to it as my brother. Uh, we grew up, our father uh, worked for the FAA, and he was a weather observer. Uh, he also was a pilot uh, and had a very extensive knowledge of the sky, of plane identification, of weather and cloud patterns. And uh, Kevin and I grew up uh, in that environment uh, being able to identify all of these things and, and kind of looking skyward on a regular basis. Exactly. We were always looking up at the sky. It's a miracle we didn't trip over something and break our jaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking up at a front coming in, and next thing you know, I bump into a nine foot hairy man that bench presses <laughs> that bench presses a thousand pounds. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> That's what you say uh, when a bigfoot steps on your foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, you know, and this guy, uh, this is not the first time, and he's oh so right. How important is it uh, to be able to identify uh, scat, footprints, fur samples, uh, scratchings and markings on trees, broken branches? I mean, hunters are the experts at what they do, especially older, experienced hunters. Oh, yeah, they're uh, trackers often first, and then hunters. Yeah, know. and I, I had a tracker tell me one day, it's a game with him. You know, he, 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 it's more fun for him to prove out his hunch uh, uh, than to actually put a shot on the thing. Yeah. You know, he, he'd prefer to sneak up on something and say, ha, ha. I got you, you know, uh, and I can appreciate that. You know, it's like a game. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Wow, that's incredible. Cool. By the way, what, one of the coolest names of a uh, little hunting hound, right? Ruffian. <laughs> yeah. It's no, pretty I cool. You know, yeah, it's, it's neat. You know, the ruffian, you know. Exactly. But I like uh, I, at least ruffian had the brains or the sense not to go running out into the field after this thing. Yeah, no doubt about it. Would have been the wow, yeah, just incredible. Yes. So where we go? What do you got for us? Yeah, so we got some really good viewer mail uh, from uh, a lot of different locations, as usual, this week. So the, the first one uh, comes from down in Puerto Rico, and it comes from Tito and his family. And Tito says, so he writes, uh, My two youngest children and I have been listening to your podcast now for about a month. It's one of the highlights of my week now as far as entertainment is concerned he says he has two questions first off he said you spoke of other oddities what do you mean by that and secondly what do you know of the chupacabra wow mm. wow that's incredible you know and kudos to you tito you remind me of grandpa greg down in uh <laughs> texas who i gave a shout out to a few weeks back uh, nothing like Grandpa Tito sitting down with the little ones and uh, <laughs> scaring the bejesus out of them. Have a nice sleep. <laughs> no, wait, wait. Your parents are here just in time to pick you up to take you and tuck you home, tuck you in for bed. Yeah, he sends them home with their parents, and they're scared to death to go to sleep that night. Don't tell them about those bodies that Kevin was talking about washing up on the shore. Oh, my God. Well, you know, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, first of all, the other oddities, uh, Tito and anybody else, uh, what I'm talking about are the many strange and bizarre things on this planet that people are reporting, seeing, or interacting with. Uh, and I had said to my brother that really anything and everything is grist for the mill and that I believe at different times and different places we may be touching on some of this subject matter intermittently. Uh, as far as the area of Puerto Rico, 
Uh, I don't even know if Tito is aware of this, but Puerto Rico has been rife with UFO activity for decades. And not only UFO, in, in other words, unidentified flying objects, but USO, which is an unidentified submersible object. Yeah. So there is weird stuff going out there. People see lights going in and out of the water. Uh, and then, of course, there's the story of the Chupacabra, which I believe was initiated in Puerto Rico. So, Kev, maybe that could be on your uh, your tablet of uh, discussion, things to discuss. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've, been, I've been looking at it over time. So definitely, you're right. It's, a, you know, in the Caribbean or Caribbean, depending on how you pronounce it, and, you know, chiefly in Puerto Rico, a lot of the sightings, and then Central and South America, and occasionally uh, Mexico and parts, other parts of North America as well, and uh, southwestern U.S., like Arizona, New Mexico, you know, pretty close to Mexico. So, yeah, that's on. That's definitely on the to-do list, and I've been researching it. So one of these days you'll see it pop up. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And once again, Tito, thanks for chiming in with us. And uh, I hope your kids won't be permanently uh, <laughs> destroyed by listening to our podcast. <laughs> Sorry, kids, I didn't mean to frighten you. <laughs> I think he's lying. <laughs> yeah, I'm not happy until they're running in terror. <laughs> Wait, come back. We didn't have ice cream yet. <laughs> Bigfoot shaped chocolate dipped pops. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, what else you got, Kevin? All right, so the next one, we're going to go uh, um, all the way around the world to uh, Brock from New Zealand. Wow. And uh, Brock writes, there have been rumors of this creature in New Zealand for years. What have you heard of its existence, if anything? And he says, great show. And as a show of support, I bought my first volume. So very good. Wow, awesome. Awesome, Brock. That's the way it's done. <laughs> and now that you bought one, buy them all and buy another set for everybody you know. <laughs> 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 well, now, New Zealand, uh, I haven't gotten any reports on New Zealand's Bigfoot, but that's not to say there's nothing there. I mean, Brock, you know you know how to get in touch with us. You've already sent us an email. So why don't you be a little reconnaissance scout for us and see what you could give us uh, as far as tips or leads. And in the meantime, perhaps we could do a little investigating ourselves into the existence of a Bigfoot-type creature in New Zealand. Yeah, and I've seen a little bit about it, Bill. There's there's like a combination of things, you know, um, mostly around the North Island of New Zealand, where, again, unfortunately, these are some, like, uh, uh, native folks to New Zealand. They're, uh, their names, which are pretty darn hard for me to say. But mm -hmm. uh, one, is, one is called Mohau. And another one is called uh, Mayaro Arrow. Great. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it seems like, you know, one of them is kind of a legend that goes way back in time that may not, may be more folklore than actually a sighting. And the other one is kind of this uh, large gorilla-like creature, a little bit like Bigfoot, um, that folks have reported seeing. But it's interesting. We'll we'll definitely keep our eyes peeled, you know, and Brock, definitely keep us informed because New Zealand is a little bit like Alaska in the sense that um, very low population, you know, very low population density. I, I forget the statistic, but it's like the sheep of New Zealand outnumber people, I don't know, 100 or 1,000 to 1 or something crazy like that. And they have some incredible wilderness and landscape in New Zealand for anything to hide away. Oh, yeah. And they have some weird, you know, again, weird history of creature sightings, these giant lizards and stuff like that, you know. So we'll we'll keep an eye on it. And Brock definitely keeps some information coming. And any anybody else out there that's down in New Zealand, uh, I know you're there because I see the stats from the podcast. I know you're listening. So let, let us know. 
Yeah, yeah. And please, you know, everybody uh, should feel welcome uh, to contribute to this show. We deliberately set it up in a format where we would desire us to receive input from you. So don't sit in the background and thinking it's somebody else's responsibility to do it. You do it. Exactly. Contact us. Let us know what you think, what your ideas are, what you've seen. Don't be shy because my brother and I don't bite unless, of course, you're well done. <laughs> and, and, Bill, you, you mentioned it on prior shows. It's kind of like we're not, we're not so special. You know, we're not born as these experts on the hairy man. It's like we, we you know, if you see something out there, then say something. Give us the information and, uh, and we'll look into it further. Absolutely. Cool. So go ahead. Let it rip, bro. All right, man. We're going down to South America now from Gabriela in Brazil. Mm. Wow. So she says, I love your accent. Having stumbled upon this podcast on Stitcher uh, and your ability to weave a story. She says, do you actually believe in this subject or is this all done tongue in cheek? <laughs> is well, it just Gabriella, to scare grandkids? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is just to scare grandkids, Gabriella. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. No, Gabriella, I'm going to say to you exactly what I've been saying for a long, long time. It really doesn't matter what I think. The question is, what do you think? Because whether I'm talking about angels demons, Bigfoot, Chupacabra, I can speak of two of those topics from firsthand experience and tell you that they are absolutely true. And those two, that two topics that I speak of are angels and demons. If I told somebody of my experiences, they would shake their head, roll their eyes and say, get a load of that guy. But everything I would speak to you would be true. And yet, people look at the Bigfoot creature, having heard a tale or a story from a reputable individual, as Kevin brought forth tonight, and they just can't wrap their mind around it and make a commitment that any of these people are telling the truth. So when you say, are these stories true? Again, the question is, what do you think? And I have to leave it at that, Kev. Yeah, I no, really don't great. have any. It's very good. Yeah, I, mean, I have a lot nothing... of evidence out there, a lot of sightings, thousands of documented sightings. Um, and we'll we'll keep talking about it every week. But, you know, there it's up to the individual. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you're not going to twist anybody's arm to change their mind. No. Uh, no. I've I've found that in life with so many things, you know. You have the haves, the have-nots, the believers, the non-believers. It's always this way, and, and, and it always will be this way. Cool. All right. Well, we go into our last letter tonight, and it's a big one. So I'm going to uh, paraphrase it and break it into two sections. But, you know, first off, this comes from Phil in Bellingham, Washington. So Washington State, one of the hotbeds of hairy okay. man activity. And first off, Phil, thank you for, of course, thank you for the email, but also thank you for the very detailed email and detailed questions. And forgive me for uh, paraphrasing it a little bit tonight. So, okay. yeah, so the first part of, uh, of Phil's note says, you know, do you think Bigfoot is being covered up? He said he's heard various reasons that Bigfoot is covered up by government uh, he's even heard that it's covered up by uh, the Catholic Church, the oh log industry, <laughs> the Smithsonian, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, uh, and Phil, I'm actually hiding one in my basement right now. <laughs> I feed I feed him raw meat twice a day. <laughs> you sure that's not Fang Fang? <laughs> well, you know, same thing. Big hairy monster. <laughs> but he, he goes a little further and he says... Um, is big, you know, that one of the other reasons it's covered up is because Bigfoot is either a demon, which you mentioned, 
you know, just generally, not that Bigfoot's a demon, or some missing link between man and animal? Is it an alien that would harm the logging industry? You know, what do you think might be true and what do you think might be ridiculous? Wow. Well, you know, if you're asking me and you are asking me, uh, I believe there is definitely some type of cover-up involved uh, uh, relative to the existence or non-existence of Bigfoot. And to me, this is no big deal. I mean, uh, there have been conspiracies and conspiring as far back as you want to go relative to any other uh, number of topics other than Bigfoot. So it's no stretch for me uh, to believe that, you know, things have been known and are just not being shared most of the time, I think it's out of a fear for what how the public will perceive it or receive exactly. it. I think it's not so much, in my opinion, like some big cover-up for the sake of a cover-up. It's more often a way to protect the public, you know, so that you don't have a thousand people show up with a 30-yard six in, uh, in somebody's backyard shooting at anything that moves, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, so good, bad, or indifferent, that's my take on that. Uh uh, the Catholic Church. I mean, that is just <laughs> absurd. You know, I'm a Catholic, and that is just like, <laughs> you know, you got bolts in your head <laughs> if you think like Pope Francis is concealing Bigfoot evidence at the Vatican or something. Well, he did I ask mean, what we thought was true and what were ridiculous. So I think we yeah, can put that, that in the ridiculous category. It definitely ridiculous, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, but where did we go after that? I'm so, I'm yeah, so, so he's, he's got one more part to the mail here from Phil. And he says, apparently there are reports of Bigfoot not being an animal, but rather being a human who was transformed by aliens to become what it is now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I'm sorry, Phil. <laughs> I'm sorry, Phil, but I can't resist using my hammer. <laughs> no, but I in fairness, Phil, I have read about stuff like this. So, you know, okay. again, this isn't Phil's theory. He's just saying, hey, what do we think about this? You know, yeah. you could tell, Phil, well, we think it's kind of ridiculous, you know. Yeah, and, you know, Phil, uh, I often share, uh, and if you've listened to me long enough or plan on listening to me and my brother going into the future, you are going to hear me say repeatedly and often that I believe there are two components at work here, one a natural and one a demonic. And that is based on my own firm belief in the existence of the demonic realm beyond the shadow of a doubt. I think most of this uh, dogman stuff uh, is of demonic origin uh, and I believe that many of the strange uh, floating and disappearing Bigfoot encounters are in the demonic realm. And I also believe that there is a real living flesh and blood eating, sleeping, drinking, walking and dying Bigfoot on this planet uh, that was created here like every other creature that was created. That's my take on right. that. Right. So you see, Bill, some things like... Uh the weirder supernatural stuff as, you know, uh, potentially being uh, demonic in origin. But you also, you know, see the the traditional Bigfoot Sasquatch as being, you know, something that was created like everything else that's around us, including what's in the forest. That, that There's no doubt about it. I mean, every living creature leaves a track. Uh, every living creature is going to have some type of place where they'll bed down. Uh, every living creature is going to maybe have uh, some kind of covering to protect them from the elements. Uh, we just had this account again where the guy found a pile of scat. Yeah. You know, a creature, a living organic being eats, defecates, needs water, you know, everything like we do. Uh, and then you have an account of a, a Bigfoot floating across the trail and leaving no prints in the mud. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a real creature. I don't know what you saw, pal, but it wasn't a real living being. Right, right. So there's no doubt about it. 
Cool. Wow, that's incredible. Good stuff. So that's our last note for the week. So so first off, everybody, thanks for sending in the notes. We're getting more and more every week, which is great. And also, thank you for leaving reviews. We're getting some great reviews on uh, all of your favorite places to download podcasts. So please keep the reviews coming. And, uh, you know, we thank you for uh, giving us a portion of your valuable time every week to listen to our podcast. Yeah, Kevin, uh, pump up the uh, webpage where they can contact us. Yeah, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods dot com uh check it out and uh contact us and we're also uh we're working on a new and improved website as well so keep coming back and see what shows up might even be some creepy stuff there for your grandkids (laughs) (laughs) yeah we can't forget the grandkids (laughs) well that sounds like it's a wrap for another great show kev and before we say goodbye to our audience may i remind you once again of just one thing Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.